listening to the Living Room North Living Room North podcast. Good evening. It's great to see you guys. Uh, so great to be here at the living room. I love being up here with you guys. I love seeing your faces each week. I gather here, and uh, as um, Ashley said multiple times with uh, two different titles, I'm going to try to give you the title of the series that we're uh, jumping off with tonight. It's Heart to Heart, and uh, it's understanding God's love for us. And uh, I just need to be clear, I want to start this, we did not think this through, that this was going to land in February when we named this series, and so if you came tonight thinking this was a dating series, because it is February, it is heart to heart, it is not. So I'm I, sorry to disappoint you, if anybody showed up, uh, if you brought a friend, like, hey, we're doing this series called Heart to Heart, uh, this series doesn't have really anything to do with dating, however... Uh, I think the truth behind the series will help you in your dating life, okay? So uh, if you're here for that reason, great. But everybody, I think, knows what a heart-to-heart is. It's when you, like, lay it all out there. You're vulnerable. You just, you just go for it, and you're honest about how you feel about a situation. And a heart-to-heart could be with, you know, someone that you're pursuing. It could be with a roommate because you need to have a heart-to-heart with them about the dishes and the sink, you know, that kind of heart-to-heart. Um, and, and you can have a heart-to-heart with a family member. But uh, this series is not about me or our staff having a heart-to-heart with you. It is about us having a heart-to-heart conversation with God that we would understand God's Heart for us, and we're going to look at three parables in chapter 15 of the Gospel of Luke that explain the heart of God. And, and just to be clear, what a heart to heart is, just so that we're all on, all on the same page. And I know sometimes there's guys in the rooms, and I've been like this too, that we don't really like heart to hearts. We don't like being vulnerable. You know, I'm not saying all guys, but I've been there. We've all been there at times. It's like, I'm not so sure yet. But this is what a heart to heart is it is. Communicating intention, that's one of the things that you do in a heart-to-heart. It's clarifying misunderstanding. So sometimes things happen in a relationship and it's not really, it didn't happen the way you thought it happened, but somebody else perceived it in another way. So it's clarifying misunderstanding. That's why you need to have a heart-to-heart. Or it's to challenge wrong thinking. And this happens a lot. I'm just telling you, uh, I've been married for nine years now and I... We have to confront, Jade and I have to confront each other all the time on wrong thinking because we think that somebody did something and we think their intentions, their desires were different than what, the way we received them. So we challenge wrong thinking in heart to hearts, okay? And what you're going to see when we unpack these three parables is that Jesus is going to come on the scene and he's going to tell everybody why he came. He's going to clarify the intent of why he came. He's going, to, he's going to make sure that there's no misunderstanding because when he shows up, there is a lot of misunderstanding about religion. And he's going to challenge people in his audience that he's teaching about wrong thinking. And so that's what we're going to do over the next three weeks. And I am so excited about this series. And I think if you will engage with these three parables, if you'll hang with us for all three weeks, you're going to see a beautiful picture of the heart of God. And if we engage with it, 
with honesty and openness, this will force us to evaluate our own lives and start asking questions like, am I really missing who God is? Like, who God really is? Is my heart really aligned with the heart of God? Is my life really an accurate and acceptable, acceptable reflection of the heart of God? Do I fully understand the good news of the gospel and its implications for me and the world around me? Because this is so important. To miss the heart of God is to miss the heart of the Christian faith. To miss the heart of God is to miss the state of our spiritual condition. And just to be clear, I'm not saying that like being a sinner is bad. Yes, that, that's, there's bad things about that. But we're not going to like measure our sins or compare our sins to someone else's sins. Our spiritual condition, just in case you didn't understand this, is that we were dead and had no chance for life without a Savior. And that Savior is Jesus. And when we put our faith in him, he makes us spiritually alive. And we're going to see his heart for us, that he came to save us in our spiritual condition and what he did through these three parables. And finally, to miss the heart of God is to miss the mission we've been called to be a part of. So we're going to look at Luke 15. And Jesus shares three, these three parables, and that's what the whole series is going to be about. And they're famous. You know most of these stories. You've heard them before. One of these is the most famous, one of the most famous parables that we all know, the parable of the prodigal son. We're going to get there. But before we get to that tonight, we're going to look at these first two verses. And we're going to spend probably literally the next 10 minutes or so just on two verses because I want you to understand the context of what's going on when Jesus teaches these parables. I had this professor, uh, and he would always say, when studying the Bible, context is king. <clears throat> context is king. And what he meant by that is that when you interpret the Bible, the ruler of interpretation is the context, is the setting. And sometimes when we read verses like these first two, we just blow right by them. Don't even give a second thought about it because we know what's coming next, which is the parable. And we're like, this is what I really want to study because I want to understand what he meant. And I think you should want to study the parables and I think you should want to get into it. But if you miss the context, then you're going to miss the meaning of the parable. So we're going to take several passes at these uh, first two verses. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And so Jesus shows up, and when he shows up, we see, when Jesus just showed up anywhere, we see that the irreligious loved being around Jesus. They were compelled to be close to him. And the Pharisees and the, the leaders of that day, they despised Jesus. In fact, I would argue they even hated him. And so, what is it that is going on? We gotta get this tension of this context. We gotta understand the tension that's going on in this setting. 
And what we see here is those on the outside of faith and religion found the heart of Jesus compelling. Those on the outside of faith wanted to hear the teachings of Jesus. Those on the outside of faith had their curiosity piqued by their interactions with Jesus. Those on the outside of faith didn't well up with anger or be, they weren't annoyed, annoyed by Jesus. They, weren't, they didn't have fear or shame around him. In fact, I think when they saw him, they probably cracked a smile and got excited and their pace probably picked up as they were drawn closer to him because they believed maybe, just maybe, this teacher is for me. And this experience with Jesus was radically different than any experience that they had had with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. See, in that day and time, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they used the law, they used the system of religion as a system of exclusion. They used the, 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 the law and the system of religion as a system of exclusion, meaning it was a line, they drew a line in the sand and they wanted to separate who was part of the family of God and who was not a part of the family of God. And the tax collectors and sinners were not gathering around to hear from the Pharisees and relig religious leaders of that day because when they did, they felt like they were the outcast in the situation. And the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the day found Jesus and his practices repulsive. And the reason they found Jesus and his practices repulsive is because he hung out with sinners and tax collectors who to them were repulsive. And we'll come back to that in just a moment. Now, second time through. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. They muttered. The reason that they muttered is that he was associated with tax collectors and sinners. He gave access to them. And so they use this word, this man. This man actually is um, literally is like, it's a, it's a derogatory tone. The way it is written in the original language, you know it's a derogatory statement the way it is written in the original language. And they're, they don't even say his name. They're like, this man, this man hangs out with tax collectors and sinners. He welcomes them and welcomes. He actually receives them and gives access to them. And he eats with them, meaning that is a deep connection that is going on with them. It's a sign of fellowship. It's total acceptance, like, hey, let's have fellowship with one another. Let's have conversation. Let's get to know one another. That's what a meal was in this context. And they were disgusted. They were repulsed with the sight, just seeing this happen by Jesus. It made them angry. And repeatedly throughout the Gospels, what you're going to see, that this was Jesus' reputation. In fact, in Luke 7, 34, it says, The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and you say, here's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So I just want you to get this verse. They say, here is a drunkard and a glutton, and he welcome, he's a friend of sinners and tax collectors. And they put drunk and gluttonous on the same level as a friend of sinners and tax collectors. 
Think about that. That's what they were saying out loud about Jesus. That was his reputation. And when the Pharisees said it, it was derogatory. Ironically, for Jesus, it was explanatory. It was who he was, that he was a friend of sinners and tax collectors because he gave relational access to them. So, last time through. Now the tax collectors and sin- now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, "This man welcomes sinners and eats with them." They muttered because he gave access to sinners and tax collectors. And so, you know this, we've studied this here before at the living room, but you understand why they did not like tax collectors. It was because of the way that they made their money. Tax collectors were Jews that were hired by Rome to take money from their own nation and their brothers and sisters that are Jews and say, hey, we got to pay this to Rome. And the way they made their money was not just get what they needed to pay Rome, but they also took their salary off the top. So they got a little bit more and they were despised by all people. They were not accepted by most people in that day and time. And they flocked to Jesus because he accepted them. And so that makes sense. Like you can understand why anyone would be upset about tax collectors. But sinners is an interesting statement if you think about it, especially in this context, because the people that they would be talking about in this moment were most likely Jews as well. They most likely believed in God. They most likely participated in the religious festivals and made sacrifices. But the people that were saying it were Pharisees. And this is where you've got to go with me a little bit and and figure this out. Like, Like the tension that's going on here is that the Pharisees are thinking, they are judging these sinners. They're making a statement. And they were saying, we are morally superior than they are. We are religiously superior than they are. And the reason that they're saying this is because they're saying they don't follow God or the law like we do. That's what they're saying in this moment. And they're letting everybody know that. That's the attitude that's going on. But before we just, you know, condemn the Pharisees, which I often want to do, I want you to think about this. They believed that their love for God was shown in their obedience to God, which I don't think that's a wrong thinking. But their mistake was in this moment was they were judging everyone else's obedience to God and going, you don't measure up. You don't measure up. So they're having an attitude here publicly in this setting. You with me on that? Context is king. Get this, okay? So, and before we're so quick to judge the Pharisees, I just want you to think, because this is the thing I'm telling you. I'm not just saying this because I'm up here tonight. This has convicted me. Because I often judge the Pharisees when I read the scriptures. Like, how did they not see that it was like the Messiah? How did they not see that 
he was prophesied and he came, he was doing miracles, and he was doing these amazing teachings and people were flocking to him. But before we're so quick to judge the Pharisees and what's going on, I want you to think about it just for a moment. Let me just press in just a moment. If you've ever had an inkling of moral superiority because you do what the Bible says and they don't do it, it's the same thing. If you've ever looked down on someone or felt better than someone, and the reason you did is because of your religious belief, it's the same thing. If you've ever cared about someone's sin just because it's sin and not because you cared about the person, it's the same thing. And if you've ever looked at somebody and was like, man, I cannot believe they struggle with that sin. How, do they, how are they even tempted by that? That is crazy. It's the same thing. And what we need to get and what we need to understand is that in the name of religion, all of us are susceptible to missing the heart of God. <clears throat> Jesus was the most anti-religious religious figure the first century had ever seen. And he came to shatter the religious system because he wanted to teach the world and show the world the heart of God. And we've got to get that. Jesus was and remains to be uninterested in a religious system that breeds self-righteousness, that creates categories of good and bad, that excludes or includes on the basis of merit or our behavior. He wanted nothing to do with that. He still wants nothing to do with that. And that's what the gospel is all about. So it's in this response to the attitude of the Pharisees that Jesus has this heart-to-heart moment where he uses the next three parables to communicate the intentions of his ministry, to clarify a misunderstanding about the good news he came to bring, and to challenge the Pharisees about their wrong thinking concerning the very heart of God. And so what we're going to see in these three parables is that something was lost, something was found, and a celebration took place. In all three parables, something was lost, something was found, and a celebration takes place. And so we pick it up in verse three. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? Now, it's common practice that shepherds in that day, before they go to sleep that night or before do some of the shepherds go to sleep while there's other shepherds that are watching, that they would count all the sheep. That's their job. Now, for us, we're not shepherds. We don't understand this context. We don't really, have never really been around sheep, most of us, unless you grew up on a farm. And it's like, you know, hey, I got 99 sheep. I'm doing pretty good. But you lose one. And everybody in this audience is like, you don't lose a sheep. 
because everybody in this audience understands the role of the shepherd. The shepherd is supposed to protect the sheep. I don't know if you know this or not, but sheep are not very smart animals. And I don't know if it was like, I I literally get worried that um, Instagram is like listening to every conversation that I had. But this week, I'm not kidding, I must have been talking about this parable because I got in my Explore tab this video of a sheep upside down on its back and it's sitting like a roach like this. And this guy gets out of his car, jumps the fence and runs all the way out in the field and puts it back on his feet and the thing runs off. And it was the funniest video. And I'm like, how did this come up in my Explore tab this week? This is crazy. But sheep are not very smart animals. They need a shepherd. They need someone to guide them. They need someone to protect them from coyotes and wolves. Otherwise, it's lamb chops, you know? It's like, what in the world? You know, that's not going to happen. And so they need a shepherd. And so when the shepherd loses his sheep, he's going to go find it. We pick it up in verse 5. And when he... and. So, I'm sorry, in verse 4, suppose one of you, we'll start the whole thing over. Sorry, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? Verse 5, and when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. And then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. Now, Before I read this next verse, I want you to think about the context of what's going on here. Who's in the audience? Pharisees and tax collectors are gathered around Jesus and he's teaching both of them. And then he says this, I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. And if you don't think about the context, you're gonna miss it. And I want the videotape when I get to heaven of this teaching because I wanna know the tone and how Jesus was looking and what he was saying. And did he look right at the Pharisees in this moment? Because it would be, I mean, just think about this. The Pharisees who were muttering who were basically excluding Pharisees and tax collectors and saying they can never get it right. And Jesus is saying there's more rejoicing over one than all of you who think you are righteous is really what he's saying because the reality is no one is righteous. That's the reality. And Jesus was coming to show that. He goes on in verse 8, second parable. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? One silver coin, and that day the scholars think it's a drachma, and that's probably a day's wage, okay? And that's a lot. That's a lot for you. You wouldn't want to show up at work tomorrow and say, hey, by the way, Wednesday's wage that you worked today doesn't count. No one would be like, oh, that's cool. I love my job. You wouldn't say that. And if you lost that amount of money, you would search for it. You know that feeling when you've lost money before or you misplaced some cash. You're like, where did I put that? 
What happened? Did that fall out of my pocket? What, what's going on? I know y'all don't really carry around cash. I get that. So I, I know that I look old when I say things like that. But I get it. I mean, you, you know, understand it. When you lose something, you want to find it. <clears throat> the woman is relentless until she finds it. And when she finds it, verse 9, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I found my lost coin. Now, I do think it's very significant that I don't, we won't get into the context. I don't really know the full context, but I do think it's significant that he says it's a woman who finds this. I think it's significant because if it was a man, we might not find it. We'd be like, it's just a lost coin. Not a big deal. I'll get another one. For me, true story, my wife, um, she got me a set of AirPods. She was very reluctant to give this to me for Christmas years ago. And she said, she announced to me in this moment, she's like, I'm getting you these because I know this is what you wanted, but I have washed in your jeans so many different like headsets that I had ruined. Like I ruined a pair of Bose in-ear, like earphones, like crazy, expensive. They were a gift. I didn't pay for them. Just want to be clear on that. Ruined them. And I had done that with like, two other headsets. And she's like, I don't want to find these in the washers, washer and I don't want to see you lose them. And so about four months into my AirPods, I'm, I'm traveling, uh, I'm in the car one day, it's raining, I'm doing something in the mail, post office, I'm trying to drop something in the mail in the rain and my seatbelt hits my ear and my AirPods and my AirPods shoots somewhere. I don't know where, I can't find it. I look everywhere because not only do I want to find it, I do not want to let my wife be right that I lose things. Do you know what I'm saying? You get the tension I've got? And so I'm searching everywhere. I get out of the car. I get soaking wet. I'm talking to people around in the mailbox, in the, like at the post office going, did you see this? Like I just, it just came out and it had to flow out the window when I was putting the thing. Like I could not find it anywhere. I call my friend months later and I tell him, he's like, hey, I can't hear you that well. I'm like, yeah, I'm only using one AirPod. And, uh, and he's like, what's going on? I was like, I've lost my AirPod. I haven't told my wife yet. I'm only using one AirPod. I'm gonna go as long as I can with one AirPod. I go the full year with one AirPod. And literally after I crossed the one, one year mark, I'm cleaning out my car one day and under the car seat, is the AirPod sitting there. And not only is it sitting there, I find it and it, I charge it and it works. And I call my friend who knows I'm one AirPod man. And he's like, I'm like, you're not gonna believe this. I found my AirPod and it works. I was so excited. And this is what's going on in this moment. Something was lost, something is found and there's rejoicing taking place. And then he says in verse 10, in the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The woman, don't miss this, was relentless in her search. Relentless in her search. Context, Pharisees, sinners, tax collectors, application, the main characters in these two parables initiate the searching and the finding. The shepherd, the woman, they initiate the searching and the finding. 
We're trying to learn about the heart of God. He initiates the searching and the finding. Second thing, the main characters, don't miss this, show concern for what is lost. They show concern for what is lost. I don't think it's an accident that it was 99 and one and nine, nine coins, but I had 10. So 90% and 99. I think those percentages were intentional because Jesus wants to show the world, I am concerned for everyone. I'm concerned for everyone. So, the main characters show concern for what is lost. <clears throat> our hearts should break for what is lost before our minds judge. Our hearts should break before our minds judge. And the main characters are relentless in their pursuit. As I said earlier, Jesus wanted to shatter their categories of religion, and he wants to shatter ours. Those the religious looked down upon, Jesus looked for. Those the religious looked down upon, Jesus looked for. He loved them. He accepted. He hung out with them. And Jesus said, I came to seek the lost. I came to seek and save the lost. I came to seek the lost, and so should you. So should I. And I just want to wrap up by saying that's our mission here. Our mission is to inspire people to follow Jesus. I don't know if you know that, if you've heard us say that before from the stage, but that's why we exist. We really believe that God wants everyone in the world to have a relationship with him. And we want to inspire people to follow Jesus. That means we want to love them. We want to tell them about Jesus. We want to invite them so that they can hear about Jesus. We want to care for them. We want to listen to them. That's really, really important. We want to seek them. And we don't want religion to get in the way. Because if religion gets in the way, then we miss the heart of God. Now, I want to tell you why this is so important and why we're doing this series. Um, our vision with the living room is to create a home away from home. You've heard us say that before, but I don't want that ever to be lip service. Like, literally, we want this to be a home away from home. And, and many of you are off at school at UNG, and you need a home away from home. Some of you are living at home right now. And, and I totally get that because that's a wise thing to do, and it's a cheap thing to do. And it's, it's hey, I, I can do that at this stage of my life. But we would love for this to be a home away from home for you as well. And we want for every guest that walks through those doors that this, they would walk in and feel and believe that this is a home away from home. And what we mean by that is it's a place that they can belong. It's a place that they're accepted. It's a place that they are seen. We want people to be seen here. That is my biggest concern. When I see guests come in, I'm like, man, I hope that what we say about this place and what we want this place to be, I, want, I hope it is true. And so I'm asking you, and the reason why we're kicking this series off is I want us to be a people who understand the heart of God, embrace the heart of God, and get on mission with God's heart to seek and save 
those who are lost. And as we wrap up, there's one more parable. And it begins like this. Jesus continued. There was a man who had two sons. And the implications of this parable are so deep and so wide. And they will expose your heart of how wrong our thinking can be. And it will show us how incredible God's grace and mercy and his heart is for you and for me and the world that we live in. And we're going to pick up on that next week.